Right on radio. Right on radio. Welcome back to Right On Radio. Wow, we've got a great show for you today. Of course, we've got Tom Althouse back on, and we're going to be discussing The Immortals. But first, just a couple brief announcements. Remember, we have our concert, our musical event coming up on Thursday, the 17th of December, 9 p.m. It's going to be streaming on our YouTube channel. It'll also be streaming on Podbean. You'll want to tune in. It's going to be a fun show. The music is going to be exceptional. Exceptional. You will be moved. We're going to have a lot of fun. We'll be chatting live with you while the broadcast is going on. So remember to tune in, but it will not be on Spreaker. As you'll remember, if you've been listening to this broadcast, we are leaving Spreaker, which has been our main platform. We've had over 30,000 people listen on Spreaker so far, but we're moving away to it as we're going more to a video platform. And remember, we want to grow this channel because we're getting a lot of truths out there. There's lives being changed. And the way for that to happen, if you truly want to shepherd the sheeple and wake them up, because the faster this happens, the faster we get into a much better world, you need to like, subscribe, and share. Have the courage to share. Courage is a quality that many people in this world are lacking. But you are not one of them, and that's why you are on this channel paying attention. So this show is going to be great. And just because I want to announce the concert, it is for the Netherlands. And there's some really great updates on the work that is being done there. The enemy is fighting back big time, but there's been really great progress made. And there's some stuff that's going down today in the Netherlands. So it's been covered in prayer and we're trusting God in it. But the way to get informed on all these things and updated, and it, because it's important that you're in this fight, is to visit illuminatethedarkness.com. Visit illuminatethedarkness.com and illuminate your mind. Our guest today is Tom Althouse, and his website is redpillrising.org. Go check it out. There's a lot of evidences and stuff that are there. And just before I bring on Tom, I need to bring on my co-host, the fantastic, the immovable in the fight for the immortals. Her name is Jessie Zaboder, and guess who the Immortals are? Ladies and gentlemen, it's you and I. We are immortal. We are meant to live forever. The meat suit that you're wearing will go away, but you carry on forever. Do you go up or do you go down? That choice is up to you, and the best way to make an informed choice is to be informed. Jessie, good day to you. You're looking stellar. You're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed again today after some incidents in the last few days. Thank you for being here with us again. Yeah, you're welcome, and thank you for such a great introduction. So what we're going to do today is we're going to put aside the matrix. 
we're going to put aside the different things and we really want to dive into Tom's script today. So the the objective of today is actually to give an overview of his copywritten script. It was copywritten way before any of these other movies came out. You decide for yourself. The allegations are that a lot of the script was lifted. You can make up your own mind. But today, because it's such an important script, it's a script that is literally becoming reality. As we speak, all these things that he predicted in this are becoming reality. So today, my job is going to be to try to make sure that we can follow along with the story. Tom is going to give us a 30,000 foot view. We're not going to read the screenplay. That would take several hours. And Jesse is going to be watching out for spiritual connotations and different things that come up. So we'll be interrupting the story from time to time. But at the end of the day, we want to get at least a good portion of the story out today. Tom, I'm so thankful for you. I'm, I'm thankful for your friendship now that we've formed this virtual friendship. And welcome again to Right On Radio. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to be here. And thank you, Jesse, for being here, too. It's, um, it's really sending light and hope. Um, a lot of times they do is they isolate the main targets without calling, like calling a footnote and making sure that no attention is given. And so that way we're silently slaughtered, silently removed. And uh, you'll see people who are broadcast from the media as the people they've chosen to present. But the rest of us are just silently killed along our families. But it's great to have a voice and to bring it out there, which is, you know, makes a difference for even the safety of my family. So. Well, and, and the one thing I'll say, Tom, is, you know, we've had so many comments. And by the way, I, I can't get back to all the comments, but we've had comments on YouTube, on Podbean, on Facebook, on all these different platforms. And we're, we're on basically every podcast platform that's out there. Um, but, Tom, there has not been any negativity about what you said there's not been any disputes the only negative comment was in the very first episode you talked very very fast yeah, we do. yeah I do. <laughs> but, it's, it's funny you get a bunch of guys like they're like me together you know and we'll just like blah, 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 and all this information tends through so fast but it's like yeah we it's <laughs> funny it's you have to talk slower and even my uh directors would say in the shows like okay slow down slow down so i know you got it but slow down so yeah i'll try to <laughs> So Tom, let's do a let's do an overview of the script, and and I want you to, if you if you're able, to tell it like a story. Uh, we can't go scene by scene, obviously. We can't get all the dialogue, but you can give us an overview of who the main people are, and how the story begins and how it unfolds. Right. Well, this is interesting. I think this is great you're doing this because you can see then how um, the FBI, CIA were not, they, they cleanse material, how they weren't right from the get-go. They weren't into this at all. They had to have it cleansed. They thought it was cool, but they needed to cleanse because our main character is a lower uh, FBI, CIA kind of uh, operative. He's a lower one in a lower department, basically involved with uh, illegal immigrants that might be a threat which is timely, they're making a big issue of that now. So, you know, that kind of terrorism thing, he's one of those lower echelon um, managers in, in the CIA. So that's right away as a flag for them, you know, because in ours, you have this guy who's actually got bad bosses in the CIA. Well, that fits now, back then they want to cleanse that out. So right away we had strikes against us. But anyway, yeah, the main character, the neo-current part is Jim. 
And uh, we don't open with him. We actually open with a scene from that was used for Outbreak. You're flying over the canopy of the rainforest, and we don't know what's going on yet as an audience. So we're flying over this beautiful uh, scenery. And then what happens is we suddenly shift through the clouds and lower down through the canopy. As we lower down through the canopy, you have the setting where you have these boots pounding by. We don't know who they are, what they're for. And so it creates that mystery. And then you have, we find out there's a lower echelon SS agent and a Jewish man uh, in his 40s or 50s. And there's you know, one, they're both in lab coats, they're carrying a monkey. So what's going on? Outbreak, basically. So they're running away. And we find out that this man had been part of a program where the architect in history, the architect, was going to bring back his top 100. So what they're doing is they had tested on test subjects, and these two gentlemen were part of those test subjects that matched physically the characteristics of two of the architect's top 100. That's where you get the field of pawns. So what they've done okay, is- so who, who was the architect in your story? Uh, see, Warner Bros. didn't want this. Um, it was Hitler. He was the only one that would fit wanting a thousand year Reich and wanting a, a moral program where he would be searching for immortality to form a program where he could uh, exist forever. And his top 100 would exist also in that program. So there's a flashback scene where you see them being frozen in these pods, the field of pods, and they're being frozen alive. Now that became a big issue for other films they'd lifted and used uh, in Hollywood. But the thing was, they thought that was a cool scene. So they're actually being, that scene is used uh, by the architect's son to convince our Neo that he needs to help him get rid of his father, the architect. And they strip that out. It would have been a brilliant uh, thing to leave in where you have the architect with his only son. What's interesting is Lucas liked it. So George Lucas used it in Star Wars for the um, thing where you have uh, Boba Fett or whatever uh, doing the clone army. And he's the, are, are the ones that are uh, operating this uh, facility are saying all he wanted was a perfectly genetically matched son. We can't believe it. Only one. That's all he wanted for reward. Well, that's what our screenplay says. Our architect only wanted one matching, genetically matching, not enhanced son. And he kills off the rest of the offspring uh, that were seated uh, that didn't match. And he, that, that son, Wagner, Hitler's famous composer named Wagner, is supposed to feel grateful that his father only wanted him. So Wagner is the only way to defeat the architect. Well, they took that out. And so that's why Wagner, uh, if you know about the enhancers, right, that go to the back of the neck, which now is Neuralink. Okay, right? hold on, hold on. We're, okay, we're right. going to get to yeah. all that. I want to okay, stick to the story. story. Okay, back to the rainforest. So, so we're I want to stick to the story, and and let's we we don't yeah. let's leave off the comparisons to the other movies okay, because right. I don't want yeah. people to think about the other movies. I want people to absorb what your work is. Okay, well here you go. Oh. Just to get, encapsulate this, so the architect, and, and there's some similarities, so, you know, obviously Hitler, if we have a Hitler-esque figure, was trying to create a master race, as we know, and, and by the way, recent news, it's come out about Jeffrey Epstein uh, doing that and having a breeding program, and, and Jesse could talk about this for hours on uh, on how they've been, they've been doing this with bloodlines and, and the elites and that. Actually, Jesse, do you want to talk on that just for a moment? to bring it into our current reality? As long as I get to ask my questions. <laughs> um, yeah, they've got, they have underground breeding programs, um, you know, where they, they'll keep, hold women and girls captive. And uh, these babies are born without birth certificates, never recorded, um, and mostly used either to go into the uh, sex trafficking field or to be sold for harvesting or um, for ritual use. 
Yeah. I, I was curious. I was curious. You, I, I just wanted to first clarify, you were saying the character, the architect is kind of based off of Hitler and you explain to me the, the Wagner connection. You said, is that his bloodline was Wagner? Yes, what, what the theory is in our film is that he used his mother's eggs, basically, his mother's eggs that he was so attached to, to fertilize with his sperm, if you will, to create the perfect match of him. Since he's going to be in this immortal program, he wants a perfect match. And his age to his age looks like him, which sets the scenario for what follows next. Okay, and are you aware that the Hitler had a lot of connections to... German castles, um, particularly Neuschwanstein, there in Germany. And originally that castle was built by King Ludwig. Um, he never got to occupy it. Um, he had an individual named Ricard Wagner, the great musician, who had come in and befriended him, taught him the depths of black magic, witchcraft, all sorts of stuff. In the end, Ludwig ends up mysteriously drowned with his psychologist, um, you know, murdered. And at that point, the rest of the story is that Ricard Wagner's family came in and um, his bloodline is the mother, five mothers of darkness who then took over the castle. So that is very interesting. And, you know, I've never spoken about this out loud, but... Um, Hitler was Wagner blood. So That's wild. Because that, this, whoa. Totally wild. The, the whole screenplay just came, and I basically just wrote what I was getting. You know, it was like... You well, know, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And so I didn't... Ricard Wagner is the bloodline. Uh, Hitler is... And, and you can even listen. Um, uh, Ricard Wagner's... Um, Valkyrie piece was one of Hitler's favorite. He loved his music, played it all the time. Um, Mengele, um, Joseph Wheeler, who were big in the programming, played Wagner's music all the time. So it's very interesting. That is wild. Yeah, because this stuff just came. I just wrote what I got. And now it's like, you can imagine my surprise when suddenly all the guns are on me. It's like, what happened? You know, it's like I had the Pelican Brief on steroids. Well, it's because you're telling all these major secrets that they've never told anybody. That's right. And here I am working for Robertson's organization, being groomed to be his face to Christian coalition. And he has this plan to do this endless war and do a false flag. And and then, you know, also simulate Christ returning. So, yeah, the screenplay was just a, a huge bomb. And yet, as far as reaching, reaching people, and yet now is the time when all this is being revealed. During this time, we're calling the Great Awakening. Ladies and gentlemen, I am so personally convinced you make up your own mind, but this was prophetic. And, you know, right here on Right on Radio, all of it is being revealed today. So, Tom, let's get back into the story. Okay, You've revealed you the architect, the main uh, the character. Uh, right. And, and the two guys, the scene with the monkey, go from there. Right. So what happens is the SS man is, um, he's heart touched. He wants to find his wife. Before he was frozen, he left a messages uh, through a Schneider who's in South America. And he's kept Christmas cards, things like this, in touch with her. She's from D.C., a famous writer in D.C. And so what's happened, Washington, D.C. And what happens is um, he's kept tabs. And so our Maurer guy wants to find her coming back from cryogenics, you know, he escapes. He was going to be basically just terminated. 
along with the Jewish man. Okay, the, the Maurer guy, who is that? Uh, he's a lower SS uh, officer who trained dogs and things like that. In World okay, War so II. he's not the main character. No, he's a physical match to one of the top 100. We don't know whom, but he's simply there because he matches physically and is part of this program brought in. So he's okay. his wife. His wife, meantime, is in... It's a sub-story sub that's not really... It's not huge, but it brings our main character into the picture. And here's how. What happens is um, he helps the Jewish man escape across the river. And uh, by uh, he, they urinate on the monkey and send the monkey off. And the monkey goes into the canopy of trees. The guards, the SS guards, follow him from the facility where they're regenerating the top 100 on these test subjects successfully and then top 100. So they follow that. What happens is ensues is simultaneously these helicopters start coming out and start shooting up the canopy and it's a slow-mo of different creatures and things falling like the destruction of the rainforest. That happens in slow-mo, like bullet time. And then what happens is the monkey's like sheltering and falls dead. The SS guards see it. They know the two men got away. There's a point where, um, meanwhile, they're getting away. They cross the river. Before they do, he says, I want to save at least one man, Schindler's List. I want to save at least one man. Um, this is wrong what happened to your people. And so here's the SS man helping him. He still has the uniform even on. He's frozen in. So um, he helps him and um, they, he gives him an injection for, he says, what, what will kill you most in the rainforest is what you can't see. So they get an injection of what he needed and off he goes. So we got two men running from this superpower, you know, who is now coming back in our time. Back at the facility, you see um, them cheering with each successful uh, rejuvenation. Some of them are very bloody and painful where these secondary subjects are being brought back and they're coughing up blood and things like this. And there's this like, you know, which was right from the other stuff. And so this one lab technician has a, a cigarette and also the iPad, even the 92, the iPad, he's holding it. Yeah, the iPad, he's working on a metal computer that works like a little clipboard. And uh, he's, the, he says, well, who was that guy? And he says like, well, he was a um, Jewish man, da, 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 a smoker. And he's like, he puts a cigarette out. So anyway, because he coughed up blood. So then you have the regenerations. Then you get the point where all these stormtroopers march into the facility, this overhead looking thing, which is right from another movie I'll talk about later. They're looking down over the facility and as another successful generation, they're ready to bring back the top 100. The first person they're bringing back, uh, we don't see who it is at first, but then we, we hear them you know, saluting, Zikai, whatever. And um, here these, you see this face of Hitler and the eyes go open, just like Avatar, open. And we know he's back. So the architect is back. And that's the only man in history that fits the architect role. So they just call him the architect. It's the only one that fits it. The one that had like a plans for this thousand years and everything. So it works. Yeah, so what happens, describe yeah. what is the thousand year Reich? Um, well, he wanted to have this empire go for a thousand years. The Romans wanted the same thing. In fact, in ancient China, uh, the one who had all the terracotta soldiers, he wanted a thousand year mm -hmm. reign and wanted to be immortal. And that's something so yeah brutal brutal man his but it, it kind of represents that that reign that leads into immortality yes exactly that's what he wanted he wanted to be immortal he sent emissaries everywhere looking for the immortal solution you know throughout china so it's something you know it's been going on with leaders who get absolute power next thing they want is to defeat death they want to be able to live forever and have that enjoy that either this in the afterlife so yeah i realized just how fast i was talking sorry Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> my mind goes, yeah, real fast. That's how I create. You should see me writing stuff. I'm like, okay, yeah, wow, cool. Okay, yeah, it's great. Okay, yeah, that's how the story was written. <laughs> that way, you have to have that gear there, you know, the layers. Anyway, so yeah, that's probably why I was picked to transcribe this stuff, this prophecy, as you say, because I could write so fast and think so fast. But, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I get a quick guy. But anyway, 
So you have this man now uh, going off from the Jewish man. He's going on his way. Here comes this uh, lower echelon, 30-year-old something, still 30-year-old something in our time. So Hitler's brought back the top 100. They have solved the problem of immortality. That's your program. So here you have the program, the immortal program. Now every world leader and his family can join this program, get immortality if they usher in the one world society. And ladies and gentlemen, that's happening right now. That is what's happening. Stanford, IBM have solved the problem. They really yeah, have done. Jesse, do you want to talk to about the talk about the promise that is made to these people? the uh, the bloodline families and that the deception that they believe yeah um they do believe that uh you know that they how they put it is they're born from the seed of cain so that would be kind of like the immortal seed uh which really is a mix of um angelic and human blood so you know originally in genesis 6 we had the nephilim um so they've been trying since then to get that immortal seed. Now where they've brought in some of the deception through the church is that, um, you know, that they've gone into what we call the, um, you know, Dante's Inferno, the, um, that type of theology where they've said that, you know, Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene together. They had a whole, the Holy seed, which was carried by the woman and that is the sea of the Christ, the immortal one. Um, you know, on the base level, they'll make people believe that it's, you know, focused on Jesus Christ, but in actuality, it's the seed of the Antichrist that's mixed with angelic blood. Um, so that's where they get some of that theology. But I, I guess what I wanted to get out there, and Jesse, you can correct me if I have a misunderstanding about it, but from listening to your interviews and, and talking to you, the enemy has promised these people that they will live immortally. He's lied to them. Right. He has lied to them and he plans, the moment they get all of his army through the heavenly gates, he plans to kill them all. Yeah, they'll, they'll be the first gone. Right. And, and I will tell people, you know, I mean, this this was told me by Satan himself in a meeting that he plans to destroy them all. So we're not part of his agenda at all. So. All right. And let's get back to the story. The story, right. Tom, who just, all this stuff is coming out and I just want to put it in a real time, but focused Absolutely. on your script, not, Absolutely. not other yeah. ones. Yeah. Focused on your script. It's difficult because they took so much stuff, just chop shopped it that you see all these like bam, 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 bams right down the line, but I'll, I'll stick but to But yours is superior because it's complete. Well, it's, and if it's prophetic, you. it's definitely superior. So let's go through yours. Well, picture Bon Ventura listening at this as we pitch it too, as we say it, because it's what he heard. And he's like, this revolutionary, blah, blah, blah. So picture Bon Ventura in the sidelines. You're going like, oh, we're making this. You know, it's like, yeah, at, in 92. Anyway, so what happens is um, we have Maurer, the German SS man with the heart, going to um, Schneider, who's in the, you know, in the rainforests and stuff like this in the Amazon. And uh, there he is. And he comes in and he's like, you know, I want to see my wife. And he's like, well, wait, you can't go right now. It's like, you, you're in no shape. He looks like a disaster. It looks like he's aged 80 now because it's just like all the things have been hitting him. And he's got a satutu under his skin, which is a grub that grows under your skin, feeds off you. And then when it's ripe, it will come out. And he's like, shows him a mirror. Cause he's actually holding a gun saying, I want to see my wife. I want, you know, where is she? He's like, you're not ready. And so he holds up the mirror and he lays down the gun and sees that he's just, he's, he's not ready to go anywhere. 
So he lays down and that's taken care of. But he's given an envelope with an address in Washington, D.C. And that's his wife. Now she's 70 some years old now. That's when we start to enter the picture now. Now we cut to the credits. And interestingly enough, that had never been done before where your credits roll after you've already done your intro. I figured it would be fairer to audiences to have the story first and then do your credits in a montage of interesting uh, scenes that, over, that overlap, but you can't possibly figure out how they're gonna tie together. That engages the audience's intellect to go, okay, well, how do these fit together? Let's see how it ties together. Images of Christ on the cross, the uh, tomb being empty, SS soldiers marching, Hitler doing his jig dance, um, people at internment camps, the uh, little girl with a doll, which Spielberg loved, little girl with a doll, red doll at the um, train cars crying in the mud, her parents have been ripped away. Um, how does this all tie together? How's it gonna tie together? An uh, CIA lower echelon Asian driving to DC. What's going on? So the end credits end with, um, this is the first time where it's done later. You know, now it's done all the time that way. So you end up with his car pulling up in front of the um, FBI CIA building in DC or one of them. And he gets out and you're following him with the camera, the follow camera through the conference doors. And there he is in the meeting. And you meet the Morpheus character. So now we've met um, our Neo counterpart, Jim Reese, who um, they're using that name now. Uh, and Alan Grace, my good friend, his name, which is the Morpheus character. So they're both in this department. Alan's under him. He'll become underground. So what happens is he's going, what's going on? He said, wait, I need my coffee first. And he's doing this thing. So they're talking about having sighted this man and they've been pursuing this ghost hunt, they call it, the ghost hunt. And it's like, why is this man? It seems like he has an age. And they're like showing him photos from World War II and this kind of stuff. Like, no, same guy. And he's going and contacting this lady, Helen, you know, and it's, you know, and it's like, so then they're turning about this other man, the Jewish man, who's seems to be with from World War II conservation camps. Like, what's going on? Is it a threat? So our man character, the Neo counterpart, has to make a report upstairs to the upper guys. And he's like thinking, this is going to sound like an idiot case. You know, this is nuts. So he wants to check out the lady first. So they go to this lady's home and they meet her and she's convinced this is her husband this uh, former Nazi SS man. He's like, this is my, and she's speaking in German, right? So they have an interpreter talk about it. And it's like, she's convinced this is his man. She's like, no, she's crazy. She's nuts. And um, so he asked to talk to her alone. He goes in, talks to her alone. And we don't see what happens. We don't hear what happens. He comes out and going, he says, I'll make the report. You know, so we don't know what transpired, but he's convinced. So what happens is he goes and makes this report to the upper FBI and CIA. And you can imagine our guys today hearing this kind of stuff. Well, he was spot on. Little did I know I was being spot on. So what happens is we have this situation where it was way beyond Operation Paperclip. Um, he's making the report. So he's showing the slides, the pictures, you know, PowerPoint basically of, you know, here's Maurer. Here's who we think is this uh, Jewish man. And uh, Maurer, if we think it is, he's the youngest uh, surviving person of the World War II, you know, youngest looking guy. And so he makes the report and they're laughing in the background. The Smith character is there. The Smith counterpart is the upper echelon CIA. Well, they're not going to like that. Right. So this is like the seventh floor of the of the FBI Got sort it. of thing. Yeah. But it, but it, but it's but you have yours isn't called the CIA. It isn't called the FBI. It's just it is. you're using that as a symbolic thing for our audience to understand, right? Well, actually, they are the CIA in my script. Oh, they, they are. are. Okay. They are. Yeah, he is the CIA. So that's that's exactly what he is. And that meeting ensues where um, uh, he's giving the report to them. Here it is, Beringer's office. Look at this right here. So here it is. Beringer's office where the report's made to the Smith and that is the um, CIA briefing room. Okay. That's why so they for, were for the audio over. only audience he just held up the page for the script. Oh that sorry. Right. Details sorry. That. 
That's okay. Well, that, that's that's my job. <laughs> right. So we meet Berenger, and what Smith is described as is, I read, a stern-looking man in his upper 50s is among them. He's meticulously groomed and moves with a calculated grace. Now, I had pitched that, you know, that should be um, Sean Connery. And uh, they actually tried to get Sean Connery to play uh, one of the roles. Yeah. Anyway, they just... Anyway, so he gets there, hears it, and he's laughing, but he's not laughing about what the Neo counterpart's saying, our main guy. He's laughing because he's making an anti-Semitic joke and drawing a Jewish star. So he's mocking the people involved in this. But um, basically what our character does, he says something pretty interesting at the end. He doesn't know what to say, so he basically says um, uh, at the end, this may be nothing at all. Because he says, "What? And I haven't heard your conclusion yet. So he has a conclusion to himself. He says, conclusion. This may be nothing at all or something very big. If it's what I think it may be, our country's security could be under a serious threat. Then he thinks to himself, well, why did I say that? But they're very serious at the other end of the table. They're like, okay. So what he just did was did what I did. Spilled the beans. He just let them know, uh-oh, Kevin, Kevin Spacey and uh, whatever that movie was, Pulp Fiction. So here we go. So what happens is he ends up seeing his wife after this, and he's talking to her, mocking himself for saying that statement. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. And you meet his daughter, which is very important. You have to have that relationship with the daughter and the, and the father, the Neo character, to have this really work for a satisfying ending. So he's talking to his daughter, and they do this little Wizard of Oz game when he puts her to bed, like, you know, you and the little dog too. He always says that. Meanwhile, these two sedans pull up to the house, which has happened in my life, and the lights are on, they shut off with sinister precision. And out comes our Smith character, you know, with uh, by himself to the door. Bam, bam, bam. And so his wife opens it. He opens it. He says, can I help you? Whatever, basically. And uh, he says, can I come in while he just enters? You know, his wife's nervous saying, what is this going on? And basically, you know, he says, he says like, you know, um, you, know you're, you seem uh, nervous, Jim, or something like that. He says, no, she's, she's nervous. I'm, I'm just curious, basically. So what happens is they have this meeting without the daughter and wife there, they're upstairs. It's the interrogation scene. So he's being told basically, you know, that a reports, your psych evaluation came back, that your parents schizophrenic, narcissistic, it's not good. Um, basically, you know, you're being blamed for the death of Rubles and these guys. What happened was when they did a stakeout after the, you know, they're told to find out more, the house is blown. They call it a gas leak. The house is just blown, the DC house. So we lose the um, Helen and uh, the man both when he went in, they're blown. And at the office, they're told, you know, what happened to um, uh, Maurer? They get a phone call that his body's gone. I mean, um, Rubel's gone. And they say, call, what, they, what they say was the cause of death. They go, unknown. And, and one character says, you mean undecided. So what's going on is they're clearing the trail, right? And so basically we're on everything that they would not want known. So basically he's, he, the guy, the Smith character saying, He's told that you have to offer them to join the program. He says he's being told. So the Smith agent is actually being controlled by the architect, not allowed to take out the Neo character because the architect needs that stimulation. Basically, that's it. And times Neo for a certain time. So basically, he's uh, told that he's going to close his office down and department and told we told his budget cuts. And he has to hold all his files over. And he'll be work, tell his wife he's working for Smith now and that he'll be uh, offered an immortal program where he's going to be simulated into a new life. And if he behaves himself, his family could join. And he talks about how his is too. And our character is basically like, well, why would I want to do that? You know, be with you or whatever, work with you. And he's like, well, you get immortality and your family gets life. And uh, basically what happens is um, 
he pegs him in the back of the neck with the precursor to the enhancer, Neuralink. And so he stabbed with this transmitting uh, bugging device, which will become the Neuralink and uh, collar and stuff. So it's interesting. So that's where it happens, that interrogation scene. They do the same thing there. And so, so what they, happened- they, they purposely jab him. He didn't accept it. Yeah. No, yeah, they, they always says you have to have this or else, you know, basically. And he's offered um, that he'll get the red pill at that point too, where he doesn't have a choice. It's like you either join the program or you die. There is no red pill, blue pill. It's you, you get the pill or you, you join the program, or you die. So basically two weeks are going to pass and it's going to be the situation where um, he has to pretend not tell his family anything, right? Or they're going to be dead. And so on the day of the simulation, two weeks later, he's saying goodbye to his family in tears. He leaves a note for us, his wife, which I thought was better having a wife, Julia. And it's saying, you know, whatever happens, don't trust anyone. And if I'm not back, you you just go, just go, take Brittany and go. Brittany, they changed it to Santi. So basically his daughter's saying, you know, daddy promised me you'll come to my birthday party. You know, promise me, he promises in tears that he'll be there. And Julia's like, you know, what's wrong, what's wrong, you know? And so he, he leaves without it choked up, unable to talk about it. Gets in the car, not knowing what the simulation is going to be. He's supposed to fake his death, right? And he joins the program. So just before this, he's at his office, closing it down, saying it's all a mistake. It's all been explained. There is no ghost program. We can all put the theories of rest and there is budget cuts. So he's basically, he's, he's fallible. He's turning on his own people and saying, you know, you can get your own jobs now and they'll help you do that. So he's sold out. Alan Morpheus knows this. Morpheus character knows this and trails him to the elevator saying, what they do to buy you? what they do? You know, we've all been through this kind of stuff with people buy out. And he's like, it's over, forget it. Well, now he's going to go to this assimilation after leaving the note and up pops um, uh, the Morpheus character in the backseat saying, my family's dead. My house has been firebombed. What's going on? And here's his best friend, right? Who's going to become underground. And he's like, he knows he's bugged in the back of the neck, so he can't say anything or his family can suffer too. And now he knows it could be burned in a firebomb. Keep in mind that the Smith character during that interrogation scene in his own home, which is better in his own home, is saying your house runs on gas, doesn't it? Not the safest source I hear. So now it connects, right? He even leaves a gun for him. He's like, what am I supposed to do to kill myself? He's like, well, it's your choice, but I'm supposed to offer you this program. So here he is in the car. He pushes his best friend out of the car saying, stay the hell away from my family in colorful language and goes on. He just pushes his own friend out. He's not simulated in death. He's actually killed. The Mack truck devours, I like the scene where the Mack truck devours the car at the intersection and he's seen being frozen with his injuries, dead basically, cryogenically. And the last thing he hears is his daughter saying, promise me we'll come to a birthday party. What's going on? You know, this kind of stuff. Last moments. Now, when he's brought back, I thought it was really cool. When he's brought back, it's the Smith agent bringing him back. This is 70 years later, right? So he's left his daughter at six years old. He's coming back 70 years later. He doesn't know this yet, but he sees the Smith. It's the first thing he sees, this doctor and the Smith. And the doctor's saying, okay, he's back. Tell, you know, let the agents know. And uh, so here comes a CIA guy, the Smith, top up guy, coming back in, explaining that, you know, he's like, well, um, how long have I been out? How's the driver? And the doctor had said, you know, well, judging from your records, he's been dead for many, many years. And he's like, well, what's going on? So the Smith says, you know, well, look, um, I'm supposed to help you assimilate into your new life. Welcome to the new world. You know, I'm supposed to help you assimilate. And um, basically you're not allowed to see any family members. Well, that's a tough order. He's being tested, right? And so what happens is he learns that his daughter's still alive. Can't see her. She's now 76 years old with Alzheimer's you know, the same mind as she was when a six-year-old. 
he's not allowed to see her. So what happens is, of course, he's going to. So he gets out of the hospital. He goes to the, um, uh, it's a palm scanner, which they now use. I didn't know that back in 92, they would. But he puts his palm up and he gets this uh, AT&T uh, Horizon Mix company, <laughs> absorbed, where he gets to see where they are in this nursing home, right? And so he goes to it, of course, this adult care center. And he's asking about Brittany, Brittany Reese. And he's like, well, she doesn't have to hear records say no family. Who are you, a friend? He's like, okay, whatever. So he sneaks around to her room, finds her room. And there she is, a 76-year-old woman with the mind of a six-year-old with burned scars on her face. That house was firebombed, right? Here's where your satisfying ending. So what we now go is, here's a little this older woman talking like a young woman. These are for this other one. So she's touching his face gently on the cheek, saying, Daddy, I... I knew you'd come back. I knew you'd come back. A man pulled me out of the fire. So he thinks that it's um, the Smith agent, right? That'll stimulate the architect's mind. We'll find out later it wasn't, right? He thinks at least the Smith did something good when actually he didn't, right? He didn't. We'll find out later. So the audience is going to be set up with an awe moment, satisfying it. So what happens, she says, too, you missed my birthday. And he's like, you know, in a really sad terms, but I knew you'd come back. And so he says, you want a birthday cake? Yeah. So he's talking like we would to a six-year-old, you know, just to make her happy. An orderly comes in and says, get out of here. You're confusing her. You know, get out of here. What are you doing? And she says, daddy, please don't leave me again. Now, my friend in California was moved by this. I always get choked up on it. Best scene in the whole thing they took out. So he scoops up this elderly woman, his daughter, busts by the orderly and runs down the hall with her trying to get her out of there. He's no plan. He doesn't know what he's going to do, Right. Like a fish out of water. But he's stopped by doctors and these other orderlies, this female administrator. He stopped and he looks down and she's, he has a smile and tears in her face and she's died. They say she's dead. And they're very cold about it, right? And so what happens is uh, the administrator says, take the body away from him, this kind of stuff. And uh, he's lost everything. So he goes outside and here's your cover for the show. Three people in trench coats staring him down. The Smith agent with his two thugs staring him down. Icy moment, right? And he broke the rules, but it's not, he's already lost everything. So he doesn't, he just, I see moment looking at each other and he moves on. Then you join him in the future. It gives the audience a breather. You join him in the future and now we really kick into it because we have the neural links. We have everything going now where he is in the future. And what happens? He's, he gets up at a train station, the train terminal. So Tom, just, just so I understand, because he's already woken up 70 years later. Yes. But now and he's now- in the future beyond that. Much beyond, about 200 years more. Whoa, okay. So, yeah. So, he's been living without family, you know, with a neural link where his memories are all stored and everything like that, uh, thinking that, you know, that's it. And um, he has friends, and one of his friends is actually a former agent. I thought that was much cooler. A former agent who's had his memories erased, released from the program, but the architect has a reason for that. This former friend, Mendel, he is with him because he's going to be used at a certain time. The architect has everything planned out, every free choice, every free will. He is using our free will to his advantage to stimulate his mind while knowing what we're going to do according to certain stimulus. So this friend is allowed in his life. And boy, has that been happening in my life. So it's all there, including the vans that pull up in the earlier scene. We have Barringer, a Smith agent in a van, monitoring what he's saying to his wife, even the loving things, you know, getting off on him. So here that happens. So we have this... Uh, agent who's been reinstated as a best friend almost like the truman show right his best friend keeps him in line that kind of stuff but thinks he's being just a best friend saying that his memories are erased but he still has residues of even children being killed and still there nagging but what happens is he'll be brought back in for the purpose of the architect so what happens is 
there um after the train station scene you have this like where you see this little girl being pushed forward by the uh, crowd crowd of people right it's cheapened but in theirs but they have this crowd of people going like take my children take my children it's like kinder transport from world war ii and also child trafficking they have no idea that putting their child into the program means they're going to be used and abused like jesse was talking about mm-hmm. right they have no idea they think they're gonna that there's there's only a better life in the program instead of these rundown cities outside where the free people live and that includes underground right which we have so they're just pushing their kids in that's where you get the hunger games thing is that they, they are used also for fodder families get in the moral program if they survive the hunger games in our piece so they're used for entertainment because the immortals program you don't die you just live forever in that program and so they are fascinated by death which religious right is people at robbie's organization so you have this situation where they're watching them just fight for their lives and fighting against impossible odds and watching their children die in front of them which was also part of chinese history where if you were considered a traitor your first generation above you and the generation below you were all killed with you so it's that kind of thing well that's not just in the movies jesse can talk about real life hunter games and you know this this is this is something they do as sport uh, we can actually name names we won't on this program but uh they're they're figures that you the public are aware of and they participate that- in these heinous things see when i was given this to write when i was writing this and just writing it i had no idea about any of this stuff and so you can imagine the other side like when i'm pitching to bonaventure <laughs> with some group they're just going like uh-huh uh-huh how did you know this yeah, that's what I was told later. They were like stunned. How does he know all this stuff? Yeah. yeah. So Tom, 200 years in the future, just paint a picture of what the world looks like at that time. How is it portrayed in the Immortals movie? Okay. Well, just like the Wachowskis, what I did was I I liked the architecture in Blade Runner. So I, I gave kudos to that guy. Thought I want to use that kind of setting and enhance it. So what I did was they talk about the world of the you know that Tom Oldhouse created. They even say their own people say that. So what I was doing was drawing from what I thought was cool from the Blade Runner stuff and using like Mayan pyramid technology with high tech. And so the cities of the immortal program are like high tech, um, beautiful, surrounded by nature. So nature is enhanced, much like they did in Z Nation, right? So you've got this uh, with the immortals and that. So you've got this like beautiful architecture flooded by almost like rainforest, uh, green abounding in this immortal part where you're segregated from the others. And so it's like um, with the high-tech lights and everything, but very, very beautiful. Also, we draw on what Hitler, Hitler was an architect, right? They're trying to debate this now, they're attorneys, but no, it's what he wanted to be, an architect. That's what he studied for, no debate. So Tom, I, I just wanna, you you, put, you paint a really vivid picture there, because if you haven't seen the movie, The Blade Runner, it was a very futuristic uh, type of city and type of environment. But then you mentioned the power structures and the big tech companies and the pyramids and stuff like that. Jesse, does that remind you of a scene from I Pet Goat? Well, besides I Pet Goat, um, that is a real place. Uh, one of them with the pyramids and the city of pyramids oh, um, yeah. is under Area 51. Um, and then there's another one other in another place I, I won't mention right now, but... Um, you are accurate when you say there there are rainforests and it's underground. Um, I brought out some of the architects that were behind the building of that. Uh, one was uh, Henry Hal, uh, Taxel Bauer Thompson, 
So he was one of the main architects who was building the underground mansions and cities. And so it's interesting. Interesting, yeah, yeah the underground cities too. It's like, what happened before all this was written, I felt like this light and guided. It was like I had wanted to be that super Christian guy that really did it right. And if it's true, then I'm gonna do it right. I wanted to see if this is possible to actually live that way. And so I had this uh, feeling of being lifted and that I had to have a clear mind and just be like this humble, clear mind. And there was a task I was going to do. And I didn't know what it was yet, but I felt like I was being trained, measured, that kind of stuff. And then I remember saying before I went to sleep, I was like, okay, if you are there, God, if you're really there, then I was in tears saying, then I want to be like, you know, where it's like you go to Zion, the, the real city. I want to be able to go there and be there and have that covenant thing where you're, you know, where I'm actually with you. And all I want you to say is well done. You know, that I did a good job. If this is real, then I want to translate that to people. Not planning to write a script at that point. And then that night, what happened was, and I kid you not, what happened was um, I heard pages turning. I had a Bible on my stand by my bed and it was going, I was like, is the window open? What's going on? So as I came to, I simply, uh, it stopped. And there was a sliver of light from the window. I'm thinking maybe that's moonlight, right? So I put my finger on that little spot and turned it on. It said something like, the sons of Israel will ask weeping the way to Zion, and I will show them the way and make a covenant with them forever. That's the paraphrasing memory I have of it. I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, I just said that, you know? And then that's why you have Zion in in the other thing, because I pitched it, I told that to Bonaventura, that's what had happened. That's the name of the real city, the one that I didn't mention. Wow, that's bizarre. So yeah. all this just came Very they're like, they're, so yeah. I guess I did. I, I, did I have get a, chills, Tom. I got chills no, here. I was just like, <laughs> I'm a regular guy that just got all this stuff given to him. And it's like, and now I'm watching the world go like, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. While in the studios are going, you are the one. It's like, you know, everybody knows your story. Well, no, but, in the studios, they're sitting there like, he had to have been there. Like, what the hell? Like, you know, what are we supposed to do with this? I mean, I'm sure they were calling their uh, uh, higher ups and like, how yeah. is he remembering all that's of this right. or, or what's going on? What are we well, supposed to do? Well, that's the thing. You're right. I'm called like that lady I told about Stephanie Tanner said that I was their asset, their star player on the bench, you know, that they were keeping me like putty in the hands, that my sons died, that I'd be pliable. So isn't that interesting that to them, I'm considered an asset to the rest of the world. A lot of them, I was considered clowns until clown, until now we get the word out. I finally get to say it. I wanted to be a mild-mannered, humble guy, like I was conditioned to be, to do the work and just do it right. And even the insider from Warner Brothers who told me about the, you know, the high school and all that in the first graphic they did, the interrogation scene, he said, this will blow the lid off it. It didn't. And then you're in that position where um, I was left going like, why am I doing this? Why am I mm-hmm. even trying? The rest of the world doesn't care. It's the studios that care. The ones that are courting me are the ones that care and say I'm an asset and understand that what I did was phenomenal or something, and even though I just given it, where the rest of the world right. just mocked. It was like, well, why am I trying to help the rest of the world? That was a quandary I went through recently. You know, I'm like, and I even said to my manager, I'm like, what are we doing this for? You know, they're just mocking. It's like, why am I even trying to help them? They're supposed to be cut out of the program. I'm supposed to be brought into the program and the rest of my family can live. So it's, it's just, yeah. Did you by chance have, was there <coughs> access code into Zion? I'm told that things are going to blow my mind. Like Lauren Holmberg, the CIA operative that was brought me into the Masons and was is on Maui. You can look him up. And I still have his artwork where it says, you know, the Mason symbol and everything, and Tom Huffy Burke and all this stuff. 
he was saying that, you know, like 9-11 was, you know, obviously a false flag. I can't believe people didn't get it. Don't try to make a difference. You're, you're in one of the elite now. You're going to be one of the 1%. And we're fascinated by your story. It, what, a, what an image. What a, what a situation as a writer to see in real life in your own story where the bad guys are offering you good and the good guys are mocking you. Right. The ones that need their help. It's your like story became reality right then. That's right, because in, you're right, Jeff. Because in the screenplay, the neo character calls, you know, tries to release things to the public, and only a homeless guy shows up, and the, the Smith agents mocking him at it because they don't believe in you. They don't, they're not going to come. It's right in their own pages, right there from '92, and here we are now. How many people actually follow this story, and or not, you know, actually believe? But maybe there's well, more. They say there's more than we know. They say there's more than we know, but it's all here. And all I did was write down what I was given to write. You know, that's really what it was. So, so Jeff, you, you, you know need what? a homeless guy in this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so you're starting to, Go ahead. to the audience, you're starting to see the parallels of not only Tom's life with the script, but what the script is producing right now. You're seeing the script play out. So, Tom, you've painted a beautiful picture of where we're at in the story, and, and we've kind of, right where we stopped there in, in the screenplay is you know, 200 years even further into the future. So I want to stop it there because what you're painting and what Jesse has revealed just a few minutes ago are really big. So for those of you who are in our army, you've got some homework to do. Dig, people. Dig. Let's start getting this out. There's much more to this story to come out. Tom, will you come back next week and finish off the screenplay with us? Absolutely, absolutely. It's just it's mind it's blowing my mind now because I didn't I didn't I didn't know about these connections. Yeah. And that's why Jesse's here as well to bring this all out. I'm telling you, Jesse is really an important person in this fight. Uh, I'm, I'm just a I'm just a humble guy with a microphone, but uh, I like to put things together, and that's what we're doing here. No, it's just a guy with a pen or a keyboard. Yeah. So, okay, let's leave it there because I think it was a good ending. We got a lot out. Uh, we've got, certainly, listen, if you're in the listening audience, if you're not enthralled with this story, you cannot wait to come back a one week from today when we revisit The Immortals. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Jesse. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're able to, if you have the time, do some digging on some of this stuff that has just come out. Start digging. Ladies and gentlemen, let's put it all together. We'll we'll get it out there. So thank you for listening. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe. Really, it takes no effort to hit the like button, you know, or the little love button, depending on what uh, platform you're on. Please share it. It takes courage to share this stuff. I get it. But it does take courage, and if you don't want to end up being a slave, because there is actually a plan against you and your family, it really makes a difference, just liking, subscribing, and sharing. So in the meantime, remember, love your God, love your family, love your neighbor, and make a difference in your community. Right on, right on, right on. Right on radio. Right on radio.